0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message.
1: Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his Son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to see you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is the word of God and our marvellous guest speaker is going to illuminate us some more on that.
0: Thank you, Ron. The only thing that's marvellous is the Word of God, so let's uh, allow God's Word to speak to us this morning. It's great to have the opportunity to be here. For those who don't know me, my name is Robin Carter and I'm, I've am i been at the Verdun Hills campus for the last seven years, roughly, uh, um, working with Dave and the team. And uh, Nick, this morning, I think, I'm not sure whether he's at Lobethal or Mount Barker, but as part of the mission series, um, uh, I have the opportunity to share with you on... Uh, God's power for mission and the power where do we find the power to fulfill uh, God's mission but yeah and just uh, in, in terms of yeah just uh, having the opportunity to be here it's just uh, it's been a little while and so it's just great to have the opportunity to bring God's word uh, to you uh, this morning. <clears throat> I'm not sure many of you have probably experienced this. You've been asked to do something impossible that uh, you think is impossible and you wonder how it's going to be achieved and then as you, uh, someone might have been your boss, it might have, been, uh, might have been your wife or your husband, it might have been who, it could be in any context, you're asked to do something and you wonder just how, 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 how you're going to achieve uh, what you've been asked to do. You've maybe also experienced that when you've had that request, when you've been uh, told that there's something that you think is impossible uh, to be done, uh, you find that the right people, uh, the right circumstances, uh, things come together in a way uh, that uh, make what you thought was impossible uh, to be possible. There's Biblical examples where Jesus said to, um, in, in feeding of the 5,000, uh, you all know the story, the disciples realised the people were hungry and said, look, we, we need to go and buy food, and then uh, Jesus uh, said, uh, they don't need to go away, um, um, you give them something to eat. So you imagine you're one of the disciples and you're wondering, well, how the is that going to happen and 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 they would have been wondering just what this Jesus was saying when he said feed uh, feed these people, and you all know the story how uh, the five loaves and two fishes then Jesus by his power uh, fed the crowd as they were um, been there all day and needed to have a good meal. We also know the Old Testament, there's many stories of similar things where God says things that are going to happen, that he will do, that when a person is asked to do it, they would be thinking it's impossible. Abraham and Sarah are an example. Uh, They met three strangers who came and they ate a meal with them uh, and then in the course of uh, the meal and while they were there, one of them said, um, I'll return to you about this time next year and your wife Sarah will have a son. And we all know how Sarah laughed within herself. She thought this was a joke. She thought to herself, Abraham's an old man, I'm an old woman, I can't have a child at this age and she thought that was impossible. But again, we know that the impossible was achieved by the power of God. And God is saying something to us that may make our eyes glaze over and our minds go numb as we wonder how it can be done. Because he says to all of us, he speaks to all of us and is calling us to participate in his mission in the world. And his longing is that every person would come to know the Lord Jesus, that every person would come to faith, that every person would be renewed in their relationship with God and be alive and intimate in their relationship with God. That's the command he gives you and to me. And he says, I want you to be part of uh, making disciples of all nations in Matthew 18, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And part of that mission is to be participating in God's kingdom work uh, in the world. In Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, and, and we participate in this now. It's final fullness and completion will happen when Christ comes. But for, it says in verse 9 and 10 of Ephesians 1, For he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight and mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him meaning Christ, things in heaven, things on earth and this starts with you and I now as God's kingdom breaks into your life, as God's kingdom breaks into the world, as God's ways and God's purposes are being fulfilled, that beginning of uniting all things uh, becomes becomes a present reality. Even the diversity of people who are here this morning united in faith is a miracle of God that we come together with all our diversity of backgrounds, um, families, uh, all the differences that we bring, personalities and yet in Christ we can walk together in unity and love by the power of God. And so the kingdom of God is, is breaking in. But Jesus is saying to summarise those two things, restoring and seeing people come to an intimate relationship with God and seeing God's kingdom breaking into the world... God is saying to you and me this morning, go and proclaim the love of God in Christ to the whole of creation, to all the world, in word and in deed. And we've heard that in the course about our mission, that we are committed to word and deed, not just preaching, but actually living out our faith and and, uh, loving people in practical ways if the gospel is going to be heard. And God is saying to us, he wants to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We don't formally pray the Lord's Prayer uh, every time we gather, like sometimes, we might have in years gone by, but we pray in that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray for that to happen now. And again, your eyes might glaze over the kingdom uh, kingdom of heaven actually breaking in on earth. How is that going to happen? How can that reality, we think of the perfection of heaven, how is that going to begin to break in? And if I summarise the answer ...of how God is going to do this, I would frame it with three three words. Conception, transformation in the womb, more than three words, three concepts. Conception, transformation in the womb and then living the fullness of life that a child begins to do uh, once they're born. But let's look first of all at where it all starts, where the life of the kingdom begins to be birthed in your heart and in my heart. God does his work. The mission that he's called us to is done uh, by the power of the cross. Everything that Christ has done has made it possible for God to embrace you and receive you and for you to walk in intimate relationship with God and know the witness of the Spirit that you are a child of God. The power of the gospel to save is foundational to God's mission. God has already done it on the cross. The work is done and um, he calls us to believe and accept that in Christ Christ, we are forgiven. The gospel doesn't just tell people about the power of God. The gospel is the power of God and is at work in your heart, in my heart, in the hearts of people in the Middle East as the gospel's proclaimed over there, in workplaces, as we share the gospel with people in workplaces. The power of God does already do its work. We don't just talk about the power. Um, and we, the power begins ...its work in in our hearts and lives. Like conception, a seed of life is planted in your heart by the word of the gospel. When I declare in Christ your sins are forgiven and Christ has uh, done all that's necessary to bring you to God... ...something comes alive within you when you know the forgiveness of God... And the, the God's spirit births something in you that begins to grow. It's a seed. It's only the very beginning. Coming to faith is only the very beginning of a journey. It's like conception. Um, and God is at work by the power of the gospel. And it was read in the passage in Romans 1.16. Paul says, as he talks about the gospel spreading even in those days right around in many places around the known world at the time. He says, "'For I'm not ashamed of the gospel or the good news, uh, "'because it is the power of God that brings salvation "'to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. "'For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, "'a righteousness that is by faith, from first uh, to last, "'just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith.'" The good news is all is done to welcome you into God's kingdom. And as we just receive that, then new life is birthed in our heart and in our soul and God begins the work of his kingdom with that seed of faith. And the amazing, uh, it's such an amazing thing that I'm unashamed to tell people, no matter who they are, uh, no matter what they've done, no matter how far they are from God, it's very easy ...to say, and I don't need another seminar on how to witness, not because those don't speak things that are true. I just go away mostly feeling guilty because I think, well, I've got five names and I don't know how to talk to these people. But how easy is it to say to anyone, I just want you to know you are loved by the living God, no matter who it is. Sometimes I hear atheists complaining about the church and I'll say, you sound like Jesus... He ripped into the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. And you can just say simple things that sow the seed of people being drawn to the living God that we worship and the one who calls us uh, to faith and and wants to see his kingdom uh, manifest in the world. Intimacy and joy in God and in the gospel and what God has done is foundational to God's mission. It's based on the work of the cross. It's all that Christ has done, but knowing that intimate relationship and energy of the Spirit revealing the love of God to your heart uh, is foundational for us to be on mission. It's the power of God that's already... been at work in Christ on the cross and begins its work in your heart when you just receive the fact that you are loved by the eternal God in the work of Christ and what he has done. Psalm 51, King David knew this reality even in the Old Testament. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation or your forgiveness and your grace and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Foundational to him sharing his faith was the joy of his salvation, the joy of forgiveness, the joy of, of knowing that no matter what you've done, you can start again uh, in, in, in your journey with God and in who you are as a person. I've read a book in the last couple of weeks or still reading it, uh, Michael Rees, it's called Overflow, <clears throat> How the Joy of the Trinity Inspires Our Mission. Now when I said the joy of the Trinity inspires our mission, some of your eyes glazed over and you thought, what's that all about? But let me read a quote from that book. It says, as we realise um, the abundance of love that comes forth from God, we who have received and delighted in such love are motivated to go forth as well then God's great mission won't be a chore but will naturally flow from the joyous delight in him. If you don't have a joy and a reality to share, keep your mouth shut. Don't feel you have to go and preach a little sermon that has no reality in your heart. You need to know the joy of forgiveness and it will automatically overflow in your conversation, in your actions and how you live and that is foundational. So we need that, con- that seed of conception when the word of the cross sows a seed of God's love and grace and acceptance that everything has been done by Christ and that you are loved and accepted by the living God and as that seed is birthed in your heart, a transformation begins to take place. Just like after conception, the child begins to grow and develop. Initially, you can't, hardly, you can't see anything and then you'll see a little shape and then you'll see arms and legs and a head and you'll hear a heartbeat. And then you uh, until the, you can see this fully formed child ready, ready for birth. The seed of faith that is planted in you by the word of the gospel and the word of the cross begins to transform your heart. Something changes in who you are. So many Christians are left at conception. They believe but they've been quenched, the spirit has been quenched and they haven't even begun to develop, if you like, in the womb. And, and God's spirit wants to transform our hearts and, uh, and, and the, the seed of faith bears its fruit and transforms our hearts uh, for, for mission in, in the world. In Proverbs 3.24 it says, above all else guard your heart for everything you do flows from what's in your heart. So guard your heart, guard what's going on, guard what you love, guard what you find joy in, find joy in the gospel, joy in who God is, joy in what he has done and everything else will flow uh, uh, from that. In Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, this was prophesied by the prophet in Ezekiel. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean, speaking of what Christ would do on the cross. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols, obviously transforming the whole nation as well. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Some of us need a heart of stone removed so that we can be those free people who speak clearly and openly about the gospel. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and uh, to be careful to keep all my laws. As the seed of faith, the joy of salvation, the work of the cross is, is birthed in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, you begin to desire what God desires. You begin to love what He loves. You begin to have a transformation in, in your heart about who you love and what you love and how you're going uh, to live your life. Knowing we are forgiven, the seed of faith The conception that's taken place sets us free and instils a desire for the righteousness of God and for obedience uh, to what God uh, clearly points us to do. He shows us we are loved and we've been given something that we didn't deserve. It's transforming to realise that and it changes our lives. The finished work, the seed that's been planted uh, draws us draws us into a relationship uh, with God. Where we craved our own glory, we begin to seek to honour and glorify the one who loves us. We want to do what honours him, the one we love, we want to honour. We want to. We're, if you truly love someone, you don't want to dishonour them or, or be, if you like, reflect badly on them in any way. And so uh, the love of God transforms us uh, from, from living for our own glory uh, to, <clears throat> to living uh, for the living God. Guilt and shame is one of the most demotivating, soul-destroying things. If you live in shame... It quenches your spirit, it quenches your motivation, quenches your energy, quenches your creativity. But when shame is dealt with, then you can begin to be what God has created you uh, to be. It redirects the love of God, the work of the cross, redirects the attention of our heart. Where I once craved everything that would make me look good, I now desire the things, as I was saying a moment ago, to bring glory uh, to God. It reestablishes our sense of worth as a person. It shows us that we are a loved child of God. One of the things that flow out of knowing the grace and love of God. You know, as a primary paradigm for your for who you are and how you live is that you are a beloved, loved child of God. Even the prodigal son was a loved child that the father was waiting to come home. Says that he was a son in a in a in a pig pen, he had walked right away from all that God had intended for him, that his father had intended for him, but the father's love was still there and we can tell every human being on this planet that they are loved uh, by the living God. And after they realised that, <clears throat> I can honestly say that the power that the cross has is the power to completely transform your life and what you do and who you are and even in every area of your life you'll find yourself doing things that you never dreamt uh, possible even in, your, even in your own life. When we're born again by the Spirit of God, this transformation happens in our hearts, happens in the womb of our being, if you like, this growth of God's ways and God's will and God's purposes growing in our heart. And I guess it's summarised in, in, in Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount... As um, he talked about, and I'll just for, for a couple of minutes just summarise the, the, how this is some, the, everything that the Sermon amount Mount is about begins to shape our heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, is the kingdom. Those of us who realise that we're not what we ought to be and we need the grace and love of God, we need the work of the cross then uh, we, 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 uh, we see that and we cry out um, and beg for and long for transformation. We want to be different. Most of you don't like the, the bad things you do. You cry out and you long to be different. And when that's part of our lives, then that, that's, that's uh, one of the things that's the beginning of God's kingdom breaking into your life. Blessed are the meek, those who are humble and fear God. It says Moses was the meekest man on earth, the scripture says. He led, I don't know how many million, two million. It was a lot of Jews. He led them from Egypt to the promised land. And it was um, something that the Bible talks about Moses as being one of the meekest Um, men on earth but it was because his first and foremost fear and reverence wasn't for what my friend will think or what my neighbour will think or what um, anybody else will think but his reverence and fear uh, was to the living God and all that he stands for and that was what drove him and shaped him and motivated him as he... um, Yeah, his meekness gave him strength even as he, as we know, was an imperfect man Um, but humility and reverence for God is is the beginning of God's kingdom in your heart, the humble heart. ..is the beginning of God's kingdom breaking into your heart. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Mourn for your own sins, mourn for the sins of society, mourn for the things that are happening that, are, that are, are not according to God's will, mourn for the things, the injustices that happen in the world where people aren't treated as people created in the image of God, they're treated as slaves or refugees that aren't respected and just locked up on our shores. All the different things that grieve the heart of God, then um, blessed are we when we mourn and grieve over those evils in society and the evils in our own heart. And then that begins, again, the kingdom of God begins to break in uh, into your heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the word for righteousness in our English translation, we think of our personal godliness. The word righteousness could be translated just as easily justice. So wherever you read most places in the Old New Testament righteousness, it could just as easily be Um, the word uh, justice and so blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for God's ways in the world and God's ways in your life Um, and uh, it's not a hunger and thirst for any for your political party it's not a hunger and thirsting for your opinions to be listened to it's not a hunger and thirsting for your denomination to grow or for Hills Baptist to be the biggest church in South Australia it's none of those things that's not um, what it's talking about it's hungering and thirsting for the heart of God for you and the heart of God for the world. And as you think about what does God want for South Australia, what does God want for Australia, what does God want for international relations, what does God want for how we treat our neighbour, how do, what does God want for how we treat victims of domestic violence or the unborn child, what does God want for these things? And then as we hunger and thirst for what God wants in our hearts, This transformation is happening in our hearts and we begin to hunger and thirst for those things and we are merciful, blessed are the merciful, those who forgive others, who treat others with compassion, who don't expect too much of others, who are compassionate and care for the heart of everyone. For those who uh, are merciful, it's something that starts in the heart, birthed by the Spirit of God, transformed in the womb of your heart. You have these things alive in you, which uh, leads us um, to, um, to what happens once that happens. As peacemakers, it all flows. All these things are tied together as we are peacemakers, not just people who don't create conflict. But we overcome evil by doing good. Jesus said, love your enemies, overcome evil by good. We're actually proactive and do things that make a difference uh, towards uh, peace and reconciliation. We have an opportunity to vote on The Voice. There's one thing you can wrestle with. I'm not telling you how to vote, but I'm just saying that there's an issue there you can wrestle with. What is it that's going to bring peace and reconciliation uh, amongst us in Australia? It's not even just the one who stands between two fighting parties, but it's when you are one of those in conflict. You're a peacemaker. You're someone who will act um, um, to, to end the conflict. And being a peacemaker is the beginning of God's kingdom, not just in your heart, but it begins to overflow into the wider world. And you will be persecuted, often by other Christians. You hear voices that um, Christians who are standing up uh, for justice in the world, some Christians will say they'll be the ones who will persecute you and say it doesn't matter. Unashamedly say this morning, it does matter to God and those things do matter and we stand up for those things and we don't allow uh, to the spirit of God to be quenched in our hearts. Without these transformations in our hearts and these hunger for these things, we will do mission out of our own ego, for our own identity and for our own glorification. As we are transformed by the grace of God, then we are just agents for God's kingdom. What I do isn't for Robin Carter to be looked better, not for what might win approval for Robin, What I do is that God might look better, that his ways and his will and his purposes uh, will be fulfilled. And finally, you have conception, you have transformation in the womb of our heart where the hunger and desire for these things, then the birth takes place and we begin, if you like, a child is born and begins to live the life that God has given them. We begin to live out all these things that have been birthed in the cross, birthed in our hearts, transforming our hearts, we begin now as we mature and grow in our faith to live out by the power of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the message of the cross results in God's kingdom transforming the world around you, your family, your church, your community, your state, your nation and even uh, around the world. The kingdom of righteousness or justice, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit begins to flow out of who you are. It's not something I have to go and do a seminar to learn how to do certain things, although teaching and learning, I'm not belying that. On. I'm just saying that we're talking about the work of God transforming our hearts and lives, that we will begin to passion, have a passion and a desire to see His kingdom come. The cross is the seed of God's kingdom mission in the world because it first changes us and then we become agents of what God is wanting to do. God's mission is the proclamation of the word of the cross that transforms hearts, transforms people's actions, and then begins to transform the world. And so um, the whole idea of conception and and, uh, development of a child in the womb and then birth where where a child begins to live out um, what God's made them to be is a fitting, if you like, imagery of how we do mission by the power of God. I don't understand how a child is conceived or how they grow and develop in the womb or how they become who they are and then and when they're born they live out the life that God's called them to by the power of God. I don't understand any of that. But God's work, God's power is at work and those things happen. Everybody's, all of us here, are here because that's happened. And in the mission of God we are transformed and we begin to live out um, the way that God has called us to live. When we grow up spiritually, we become agents of God's kingdom in the world. That's part of God's mission. It's foundational in the cross, but it's part of God's mission. You become a godly parent who knows God's grace, gives grace to their children. Marriages are preserved as husbands submit to one, husbands and wives submit to one another by showing their reverence and humility and meekness before God um, a godly single person exemplifies the grace and love of God to everyone they meet and know, as we all should do, and we become agents of transformation in the world. And some will have impact on the wider community. We all know William Wilderforce, who was a preacher of the grace of God. He had a passion and a, he hated the sin of what God God would have hated in the British Empire, the thing of slavery, which many other people were doing as well. But he saw the evils and for 20 years as a preacher of the gospel, someone who had communion with his family every day, he walked and communed with God for an hour most days, just communing with God. Um, He was a politician and a preacher and a godly parent and yet, he spent 20 years advocating to the British Parliament that, sla- along with others, that slavery—an evil in the eyes of God—would be overcome. And eventually, a little after his death, that it was happened. Everybody criticised him. Even Christians told him to, you know, we need this. It's all part of who we are. It's part of our economic structure. The whole British Empire will collapse if we don't do. Th- if we if we dismantle slavery. Well, I think it had a two percent impact. He pursued without uh, listening to the opposition what he knew. He had the meekness and the humility and the confidence to pursue what he knew was on God's heart. Luther was another one who preached um, salvation by faith, the seed of faith that needs to be planted in your heart and my heart, the seed and transformation that needs to happen so that we become agents of God's kingdom. He preached that message powerfully, but he couldn't help Uh, and people do not you don't hear a lot about this, but he preached against the evils and the inequalities, how the poor were treated. He challenged all that, and the church was, if you like, almost like a theocracy. They were the problem mostly. But he challenged the social evils of his day, and a lot of people uh, would have followed him and listened to his message of the cross because they saw how the cross related to the issues they faced in their daily lives. And so uh, we won't all be Luther's and wilder forces or or Billy Grahams, or Martin Luther King, or we won't all be those big public figures, but we all can speak up for, even by how we vote on any issue, um, how we think about society here in Australia. We become, if you like, people who speak in to the wider world. The Gospel of Mark is recorded as saying, where Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. That's the foundational power by which the kingdom breaks, breaks into the world. It's a foundational word um, and there's the power of God for God's mission uh, to, be, to become a reality in the world. The kingdom of God is simply the reign and rule uh, of God. Him being in control, people doing what they know is God's will and that applies to me, applies to you, applies to our church, Applies to a state parliament. It applies to a national body. It applies to international relations. People need uh, to be doing the will of God, and it starts with repentance and believing the gospel. Whole communities are transformed when the cross in the, is proclaimed in the power of the Spirit. We know what happened on the on the, um, on the day of Pentecost, um, where where the gospel was proclaimed, the message of the cross, Christ crucified and resurrected for their salvation. The spirit came and people, um, <clears throat> some, some of them sold their possessions to give to those in need, not because anybody made them feel guilty, but the whole community, whole of Jerusalem. Um, and they were well spoken of in Jerusalem because of the way uh, they, their lives were transformed and they saw, if you like, the social transformation that happened as the gospel broke in and the and, and they met and they prayed and they shared and they broke bread and they looked into God's word um, and they they supported one another. The whole relation, all their relationships, not just their individual relationship with God, but all their relationships were transformed. And where revivals happen around the world, where whole uh, masses of people come to faith, there's a, there's a powerful uh, transformation of whole communities as peoples, their... The conception and transformation that takes place in their heart begins to shape how they treat each other and how they relate in the community. Whole whole communities uh, are transformed. As God's kingdom breaks in, revival will transform marriages. Grace-based marriages is the most powerful book I've read about marriage, giving grace uh, to each other in our marriages. Children's relationship with their parents will be restored teaching them to respect. We had one rule in our family when our three daughters were growing up, or when I say one rule with three applications, respect God, respect each other and respect things. And so we didn't have a hundred rules and every time they broke a little rule, we would jump on them. We just encourage that respect and reverence uh, for God. Domestic violent victims will be cared for. Refugees will be cared for. We will care for God's creation, a command in Genesis, to be good stewards and care for the world God has given us. We won't just keep polluting it and destroying it like we are at the moment. So all these things will flow. God's kingdom, his mission, isn't just about a ticket to heaven for everybody. Yes, you are assured of your eternal destiny, but his mission in doing that is that we be people who bring his kingdom and it is by the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the cross that his kingdom breaks in. So I finish by saying, you're all thinking, well, how do we achieve this? An impossible task. Jesus said, go into all the world, tell everybody you meet. We've heard some encouragement this morning, looking at how we share our faith in the workplace. I want to say that the key to this mission, to this impossible command that you can be thinking, this is just something I can't conceive that Hills Baptist, that Allgate Baptist here can uh, begin to be an agent for transformation in the world. And without the power of God and the work of the cross, you're right, it couldn't happen. We could break into groups and come up with a strategy to reach the most people we can. It's not of the spirit for us to do that. The key to this humanly impossible mission, the power that we need comes as we wait on God's power to work in us. Jesus drew aside in his ministry to commune with his father. The disciples followed his example. Paul spent years uh, in the desert communing with God in preparation for the ministry uh, God had given him. Psalm 46, where it says, Be still uh, and know that I am God, is in the context of being at war and being attacked. And and, and the verse is saying, Stop and be still and realise that God is God. And as we're on this mission to let people know they're loved by God and see his kingdom come, the first and foremost thing is that we wait on God to restore the awareness of his love. Just rest in God's love. Just wait on him. Let his love permeate your heart. Let the work of the cross transform your heart and and then wait on God as your heart changes. Let God convict you of the things that are not consistent with, uh, with, with uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, all those things are all part of God's kingdom breaking forth in our lives. Just wait on God, secondly, to transform your heart, convict you of those things, and then, until those things happen, until you're uh, alive to the love of God, refreshed in the love of God, it might take a, a minute, it might take a week, it might take a year, But wait on God for him to renew you as a loved, forgiven child of God and then let him convict you and change your heart and then he will stir your heart for some kingdom action in the world. It might be some ministry in the life of the church. It might be to be a Wilberforce or a Martin Luther or a a, um, Martin Luther King or it may be whatever it is, however small or great, as you wait on God to transform your heart, and to be aware of his love, then something will fire up in your heart and you'll know, you will know what he is calling to you and we will be agents of God's kingdom uh, in the world and his kingdom, Jesus said, nothing will stop uh, his kingdom advancing in the world. I'd like us to bow in prayer. And one of the things that um, a way of praying is to pray the scriptures and I'm just going to pray from Ephesians one, let's bow together. Uh, verses 15 to 23. Father, we thank you for the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that is present in our community and the love of all God's people that you have put in our hearts. We thank you for each other and pray for each other this morning. God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, we call out to you on behalf of your people. Give us minds ready to to receive your wisdom and revelation so we will truly know you. Open the eyes of our hearts and let the light of your truth flood in. Shine your light on the hope you are calling us to embrace. Reveal to us the glorious riches you are preparing for our inheritance. Let us see the full extent of your power that is at work in those who believe That and may it be done according to your might and power in each of our lives. We pray that the same might and resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead and positioned him at the right hand in heaven will be at work in our hearts and minds. Thank you that you are above all rule and authority and power and dominion in the world today. Thank you, you are over every name that is put forward in our nation, over every issue we face. You are over every title and recognition that is given in the age, in this age and the next. Thank you, Father, that you have placed all things beneath the feet of Christ and anointed him as the head over all things for his church. Thank you that your church is the body of Christ in which the fullness of the Godhead dwells and fills us all with your presence by your Spirit who indwells us. May we live in resurrection power. May your name be glorified. May people find hope in you through our witness. May our lives be transformed from one degree of glory to another as your resurrection powers manifest in and through us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.